Amen. Well, as we gather here, we're going to look at some basic understandings from John the Gospel of the Christian faith. Somebody once told me that this was business, but it's not. It's personal. In fact, if you read the Bible and study it, you will see that God goes from business of creating to personal, of being the personal God. So if somebody tells you church is business, it's not. It's personal. If you want to know how personal it is, you turn over the Exodus, the 20th chapter, and you'll find God talking about very personal things. You will have no other gods before me. See, God takes it personal. So sisters and brothers, I know you can't be here physically in the same way that you have been, but let it be known that God takes it personal when you don't come to his house. He takes it personal when you don't worship him. He takes it personal when you don't give like you're supposed to give. See, I, I told you. <laughs> I told you. And, and you're not going to believe what this sermon is about. It's about love of all things. Because nothing's more personal than love. So Jesus, he says in the 15th verse of the 14th chapter of John, this is where he promises the Holy Spirit. And most that will preach this will talk about the advocate of the Holy Spirit. But today we're going to look at the nature of the advocate and what the advocate is doing for us right now. And Jesus says, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. And I will ask the Father and he will give you another helper to be with you forever, even the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphaned. I will come to you. Yet a little while and the world will see me no more, but you will see me because I live, you also will live. And that day you will know that I am in my Father and you in me and I in you. Whoever has my commandments and keeps them he it is who loves me, and he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and manifest myself to him. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. Dear Lord, open up our hearts that we may see this personal statement from Jesus of his love for us and affection, but also the accountability that he is laying before us. How grace demands that we have this love in our hearts. Lord, open up our eyes that we may see this truth and claim it in our lives. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. In the scripture right after this is when Judas does what he does. Judas, as we know, uh, is that character that I've debated so long about the nature of Judas and how he betrayed Jesus. And I do see God's grace upon his life, but I also see judgment upon his life. You have to understand that Jesus loved Judas like he loves us. So when Judas betrayed him, he took it personally because it hurt him that Judas made that decision. And we know the devil's to blame. Just like old Flip Wilson used to say, the devil made me do it. But we can't all lay it on the devil because the devil can't atone our sins. Only Jesus can. So we have to take some responsibility. And what is the measurement of this? Well, if we look at it, we see that God has given rules. When he built the garden, he said, you can come here, you can name the animals, uh, you can walk and talk with me, but don't mess with that tree over there, the knowledge of good and evil. He laid a rule down. 
So the Bible moves from a rule to a relationship. It moves from a code to a relationship. In fact, that very beginning there, it says, if you love me, it implies then you will keep my commandments. Back when I ran all the technology for Methodism in the Southeast, that's a basic tenant of computer coding, if then. It's called the if-then statement. If you do this, then I will do that. That's the basis of all the computers that we run right now is based on that single code of the if-then. It's a conditional statement. God has programmed into the world this code, if you do this, then I will do that. And he says, if you love me, then you will keep my commandments. In other words, you will follow the rule. And so what does Jesus do with this rule? He doesn't keep it a rule because, you know, a rule is a rule. If you speed and you get a ticket and the speed limit was 55, the judge may let you out in some way or he may hold you accountable to it, but it's a rule. It's business. But when you do something against God, it's personal. When you make him angry, when you do a sin, when you betray him, when you deny him, if you don't bow your knees to him, he takes it personal. <laughs> the preacher getting all stirred up while you're talking about love, you know. Why am I getting so stirred up? Because it's not love if you're not stirred up. People, when they're dating, don't go, how you doing? I'm doing fine. How you doing? That's not what they do when they have love for one another. Things get a little, you know, emotional. And God's tired of this 20th century church somehow thinking it can just take its time and wander into heaven lazadaisical. They can somehow just happen to be there. No, God wants us running to the throne. So if you love me, Jesus says, you will keep my commandments. You're still going to obey the rule, but you need to know what that rule is all about. And I will ask the Father, here is here is the blessing. I will ask the Father. See, we can't ask the Father directly. Who do we pray in the name of? Jesus. We don't pray in our name. We don't say on the basis of John Wesley or Methodism or Pastor Jerome or some other person. We pray in the name of Jesus. And I will ask the Father and he will give you another helper. Now, now we have to understand this because if you want to know the Holy Spirit is being revealed in these last times, these end days. And the reason is the Holy Spirit is here not just to be a little uh, conscience, let conscience be your guide on your shoulder. The Holy Spirit is a helper, the presence of God's grace in the midst of the world we live. And he says, and he, God, will give you another helper to be with you forever, not just here on earth. The Holy Spirit even has a role in heaven. And that role is to be the conduit between us and the Father through Jesus the Christ who is the door. He said, I am the door. I am the gate. In other words, that's the way the process works. It's called process theology. And if you go to seminary, it happens the second year. It's called systematic theology, process theology. It's the hardest course you'll take in all of seminary. In fact, it's the make or break course. I remember I took it and I had Dr. John I. Durham as my professor and Lord, he was tough. And he had a midterm that was coming up and I knew he was going to ask on baptism because, you know, I went to a Baptist seminary. Me being a good Methodist, I went to Wake Forest. 
And so he is going to ask the question on baptism. So I'm ready to write my answer, all 20 pages. And I go in there, and lo and behold, he asked a question about grace. And I said, uh-oh, he, he asked the wrong question. So what did I do in my youthful enthusiasm? I marked through his question, and I wrote my question. And then I wrote 20 pages. I was crazy. I don't know what got into me to think I had that boldness to do that. And he called me to his office after he graded, and he said, Jerome, I don't know. I've never had a student do this. He said, you're supposed to obey the rule and answer the question I gave, but your answer was right on. It was a wonderful answer, so I'm going to give you a B plus. You would have got an A if you'd answered my question, but you only get a B plus. And I was thankful just to get out of that class, because that class was hard. Well, that class made me think and swim in the deep end of the pool. It helped me to understand what it means to be involved in this personal relationship of salvation. So if you think you can take grace or salvation and make it somehow detached from self, you'll never know the grace and the glory of God in the presence of God in heaven. I'm just being honest. There's a lot of people who are almost Christians, John Wesley said. They're living their lives thinking what they're doing is enough, and it's not enough. God wants all of you. He wants everything of you. He wants your joy. He wants your sorrow. He wants your commitment. He wants your gifts. He wants your tithes. He wants your offerings. He wants your presence. And the reason he wants that is he's a personal God. He made us to be his joy. What do you think our purpose is in heaven? To sing? Yeah, we're going to sing. But he really made us to be his children by his throne. He wants us to be joyful and to be happy. I know people, they struggle with parenthood. And I know it's hard because you've got to set rules for young people. You can't let the children make the decisions. You have to make a decision as a parent. But a good parent moves from rules to relationship. In fact, the goal of every parent who wants to be a good parent is to have their children their best friend. So you can talk with them as a friend when that time comes that you no longer are making the rules for them for now they stand on their own two feet. See, God is a loving God. He wants us to obey the rules. He expects us to obey the rules. But what he really wants is a relationship. And this Holy Spirit is what allows that. We couldn't have it without the Holy Spirit's uh, presence in our relationship. It's the grace. You, you may say, well, I don't know about it. It's true. God plays favorites. I'm a favorite son. I've always been a favorite son. I know who I am. My mama loved me. My daddy loved me. I was the most favorite of all the children. I was the baby and I was the favorite. Oh, you're saying you're being bold. You're claiming that. Of course I'm claiming that. But with that comes responsibility. So when they passed, I'm the one that carried the load. I'm the one that was administrator of the estate. I divided things, and I did it in a way of equality and of love. I didn't hold anything over anybody. I did it because I knew they would want me to, and I was going to honor that. And you better believe God plays favor. You may say, that's not biblical. Look at the stories of Jacob. Look at the stories even of Abraham. Look at the stories of even the New Testament, how God looks upon certain ones to do certain tasks. Now, he loves everybody. His grace is afforded to everybody, 
But to those that he calls, he expects more. And to be a Christian in this postmodern, post-pandemic world, it's going to require more. Because we've seen open persecution of the church. We've seen them treat us like we're not essential. Sisters and brothers, I tell you right now, we are essential. Because the world will have its way, but the tax man can't follow you. Well, he can a little bit after death, but not very long. It's very personal. It's very essential, the work that we're doing in the church. And he calls what the name of this work is. He says there in the 17th verse, even the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you and in you. In other words, the truth. And what is the truth? We don't know what the truth is. We don't know if this thing started in Wuhan, China. We don't know if it was a chemical weapon that got out. We don't know if there was malice involved. We got all kinds of crazy conspiracy theories going on now. One of them says Bill Gates is responsible. And why in the world Bill Gates want to be doing this? I don't know. He got so much money, he wouldn't play this game. He'd be spending money. I don't know. We got all kinds of people thinking this or that, that it's not true. We got people running around town uh, and thinking somehow there's nothing to it. And they're dancing like it's a party, 1999 again. Sisters and brothers, remember the storm. We're in the eye right now. And right over there is the backside, the wind. We don't know what's going to happen. But I can tell you right now, our God is there as he, well as he's here. See, the Holy Spirit is here and is going to be there. The Holy Spirit goes before us, goes in front of us, and is where we are. See, the truth is the Holy Spirit. The truth is the presence of God. Our God didn't check out. You know that old rock and roll song, you know, God got out of here. God ain't checked out. You know, there was a theology when I was a boy. It was called the God is dead theology. I don't know if you remember that. And my father, he despised it. And he said, that's the weakest theology in the world. What it was trying to say is that somehow Jesus had died and we need to have a theology of his crucifixion. And he kept saying, but we're really people of the crucifixion and the resurrection. You can't have one without the other in Jesus. So he made the point that this theology only focused on that, but then other people took it and they started saying, well, God is just the clockmaker God. In other words, he wound it up, set it in motion, that's it. He left it. Really, he left it. <laughs> He's actively engaged in this world because his truth is forever present. And the truth always comes out, doesn't it? Sin will try to hide the truth. It may hide it for a generation, but then the truth will come out. What do you think this Me Too movement is? It's the truth. These guys have been acting certain ways because of culture. They're thinking they're given the right, and now it's finally caught them years later because what they did dehumanized another person. The truth comes out. It doesn't mean every accusation is true. It just means that the truth will always come out. God's spirit of truth is rising up. And I'm going to tell you right now, truth comes out. So why he doesn't leave a Christian life, I could do the best service in the world and it won't get them into heaven. We can sing, we can praise God, but only the truth matters. But Jesus says in the 18th verse, I will not leave you as orphans, I will come to you. See, we're not an abandoned religion 
where our leader, Confucius or Buddha, has gone away or reincarnated into something else they claim. Our God is a living God. Our Jesus sits on a throne next to God, waiting for the day when heaven fills up, is what my grandfather used to say. He said, there's a certain number, and when it fills up, the day will happen. And it's filling up, sisters and brothers. He says, I will not leave you as an orphan and I will come to you yet a little while and the world will not see me no more, but you will see me. And how do we see Christ who sits upon the throne? We see Christ in the power of the Holy Spirit's uh, presence in our life. We see Christ in the love that we share for God and the love we have for one another. And he says, because I live, you also will live. I love that idea that we claim life in the midst of death. Just think about it. Just think about it. Just think about it. Look at the truth, the common sense truth. There is no other life in this solar system with all the planets and all the places. There's no other life we know of in this galaxy. And on this earth there is a thin veil no more than a mile thick on which life exists. So we're not even talking a decimal point here. We're talking about a fraction of a decimal of potential of life. Yet in this place, God has made it that we not just survive, but we can thrive. And we can have children. And our children can have children. And those children can have children. And then generations from now, that place of life continues until the Lord comes again. God's not going to let a pandemic. He's not going to let an asteroid. He's not going to let an alien. If they exist, by the way, we are the aliens. You ever read Martian Chronicles by Ray Bradbury, a great book, science fiction. When I was a boy, I had a whole library. I had it card cataloged. I had hundreds of books uh, on my shelves. I read them all backwards and forwards. And there's one book called the Martian Chronicles. At the very end of it, uh, they're living on Mars. And in this one scene uh, where the sun wants to see the Martians because there's relics of Martians on that science fiction book. And so the father takes them to one of the canals and he says, there's the Martian. And they look into the water there on the surface of Mars and they see their own reflection. And he's saying to his son, you're the Martian. In other words, you are the alien. In other words, you're the one alive. See, God has made it such that we are present in his world that he created. And he has made it. Do you, do you think the garden has ended? No, the garden just changed form for a greater purpose. It wasn't just to give birth to us where Adam was made out of the dust and God breathed into his nostrils and he made a helpmate called Eve. The garden continues now that our souls are being born in the new garden where we are being ready for the new heaven and the new earth. Yet a little while in the world will not see me, but you will see me because I live, you will live. And in that day, you will know that I am in my father, you and me and I and you. <laughs> you couldn't make a better Jesus than Jesus. I mean, think about it. You can't make a better savior than Jesus. He, he's the best savior we could come up with. I mean, we can't even come up with a savior as good as him. He's already solving problems before they even happen. Our Savior isn't a conqueror of worlds. He's not a dominion of kings. He doesn't sit upon a throne waiting to uh, have his way with us. Our Savior meets us where we are and he brings us to where he is. Our Savior meets us where we are and brings us to where he is. And just like the children of Israel, he expects us to follow him there. 
And if we think we're going to sit where we are and still have him as our savior, he will be distant in our view in a short measure. Bishop Edwards used to call it the back to Egypt, you know, part of the tribe of Israel that wanted to go back to Egypt. They uh, had a place there. Oh, they were slaves, but they were happy slaves. So this is a brother, I'm not a happy slave. I'm not a slave to my mortality, to my finiteness, to my weakness. I, I it call it hideous because it is not who I am. I am not the lesser man. I am the greater man in Christ Jesus. He expects more of me. See, that is the truth. Do not settle for what the world has given you. Only claim what is yours, and that is eternal. In that day you will know that I am in my Father, and you in me, and I in you. In other words, what do you want? What do you need? What is the prayer? So let's do it. Let's do it. I'm bold. Told you I was favorite son. Let's pray. Father, you've got to end this pandemic. There's too many people hurting. I don't know if they'll understand. They'll claim it's something else. Lord, you have to end it. Amen. Do you see what just happened? A humble man cried out to God. And I've done it before. I did it once with a young boy who tried to commit suicide. I went to the edge of the hospital and I prayed. Understand, our Father loves us and he demands that we love him. Whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father. And I will love him and manifest myself to him. You just felt that manifestation of the Holy Spirit. What you felt in your heart, in your soul, that, that spine-tingling event that just happened. When you felt the Spirit come up into you, I used to feel it as a boy when my daddy would preach. The hair on the back of my head would stand up sometimes and I'd go, he's not that smart during the week. I can't believe this man can speak these words of truth when tomorrow he's going to be fussing at me for not digging a hole he wanted dug. But I soon realized it was not my father. It was my heavenly father speaking through my earthly father and was demanding that I love him. See, he manifests himself to us when we dare to love him. Amen. Word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Amen. Let us have our final benediction. Dear Lord, our time together has been one of special harmony 
You have called us to this place, and you now call us home. Lord, let us claim this promise of your truth in our lives and dare to live and love as you give us opportunity. Now may the love of the Father, the grace of the Son, the power of the Holy Spirit be with you now and forevermore we pray. Amen. And thank you from Spring Hill United Methodist Church.